Hello everyone. You are listening to the Creative Biolabs podcast, we provide reliable exosome-related services and products to clients around the world. Our services cover all aspects of exosome isolation and purification, identification, antibody and engineering. Dear friends in the audience, you are welcome to listen to our program on time every Saturday night. I'm Connie, and joining me, as usual, is Dr. Hofstadter. Today, we will explore more interesting knowledge together. Let's welcome Dr. Hofstadter with warm applause. Would you say hello to our audience, Dr. Hofstadter? Good evening every dear friend in the audience. It is quite nice to see you again. Thank you for your invitation dear Connie. I'm very glad to be here. So in the previous program, we discussed a lot about the functional effects of exosomal lipid transfer between cells. Exosomes have the particularity of potentially triggering peripheral and internal functional effects of target cells. In the first episode, we mentioned that exosomal lipids can interact with multiple receptors on the periphery of target cells. The main content of the second episode is that exosomes are used as a new type of lipid carrier to assist the internalization of exosomal lipids into the target cell compartment in the cell. After that, we learned that exosomes help transfer concentrated bioactive lipids to recipient cells. Finally, Dr. Hofstadter mentioned that exosomes, as intercellular signal bodies involving biologically active lipids, can complete the transfer and release of some enzymes and their respective products. In fact, exosomes help prostaglandin 15-DPGJ2 and arachidonic acid localized to the nucleus of the recipient cell. Let's listen to Dr. Hofstadter's specific introduction to this part. Thanks Connie, you just made a really good summary. Yeah, I mentioned briefly before that, the concentration of arachidonic acid in exosomes is very high. Among them, a part of arachidonic acid binds to fatty acid binding protein transporter, that also exists in exosomes. Under acidic conditions, exosomes fuse with multivesicular membranes. Subsequently, the arachidonic acid fatty acid binding protein complex is released into the cytosol of the recipient cell. I mean, there, it is possible to interact with the peroxisome proliferator activated receptors, which exist in a ligand free state. In addition, the cytoplasmic peroxisome proliferator activated receptor can directly bind to the high concentration of 15 DPGJ2 in exosomes. All of the above-mentioned complexes can move to the nucleus. You know, there, they are involved in regulating transcription. What other ways do exosomes show the possibility of regulating nuclear receptors in target cells through lipid molecules? Well, exosomes from rat basophilic leukemia and oligodendrocytes contain a large amount of unsaturated phosphatidylcholine. In these species, Exosomes contain a large amount of a phospholipid, called pomatoylsterophosphocholine. You know, it is an agonist of another kind of, nuclear peroxisome proliferator-activated receptor. And one of its co-activators is also present in exosomes. As we all know, the cytosol also contains phospholipid transfer proteins, which can extract specific phospholipids from the membrane, and make them available for another target. So, the phospholipid transfer protein 
can extract palmitoylsterol phosphocholine from the exosomal membrane and bring it to the peroxisome proliferator activated receptors. In summary, I think exosomes exhibit many possibilities for regulating nuclear receptors in target cells through lipid molecules. As far as I know, the downstream mechanisms of cyclooxygenase and prostaglandin synthesis exist both in exosomes and in the endoplasmic reticulum of recipient cells. How would you describe the relationship between exosomes and the endoplasmic reticulum? Yeah, and I think I'll just build on what you said. By delivering arachidonic acid into the cytosol of target cells, exosomes can be localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. There, exosomes can provide additional substrates to alleviate the task of prostaglandin synthesis in these target cells. Obviously, you see, through this process, these cells produce more prostaglandins. From another perspective, exosomal transport in enclosed areas, such as the tumor microenvironment, may enrich this environment in the immunosuppressive prostaglandin PGE2. In fact, compared with exosomes isolated from the same cells in culture, exosomes isolated from breast tumors contain more prostaglandin PGE2. You made it clear. Exosomes allow the accumulation of another fatty acid, DHA, in millimolar concentrations in the receptor endosomes. Actually, I've read some reports saying DHA is a fatty acid, and it has many beneficial effects on health, including helping breast cancer recover. So, how does DHA located in exosomes participate in physiological activities? Well, DHA provided by exosomes can be transported through fatty acid binding protein to the antiestrogen binding site located in the endoplasmic reticulum. So, in this case, DHA induces active cell death and autophagy in human cancer cells by regulating cholesterol metabolism. Actually, the antiestrogen binding site has recently been characterized as a complex of two cholesterogenic enzymes. You know, the assembly of this complex produces a third enzymatic activity, the cholesterol epoxidase. It can hydrolyze a kind of oxysterol called cholesterol epoxide. So, the fatty acids transported by exosomes between cells can regulate some pathways of cholesterol metabolism. So, simply put, exosomes can convert fatty acids into enzymes in the endoplasmic reticulum, right? But what we have discussed above is based on the natural functioning of exosomes in the organism. Is it different in in vitro experiments? That's a great question. Actually, in the process of cell biogenesis, the target proteins involved in the function of exosomes must bind to exosomes. However, some amphiphilic molecules, you know, can be inserted into the lipid phase of the exosomal membrane in vitro. This makes it possible to supplement exosomes with appropriate lipid molecules. I can give a few examples. Hemolytic phospholipase can easily penetrate into the cell membrane. It can stimulate lymphocyte chemotaxis and dendritic cell differentiation. In addition, we know that prostaglandins, such as 15-DPGJ2 have anti-tumor and anti-inflammatory properties. So, it should be easily dissolved into the lipid phase of the exosomal membrane in vitro, and then produce potential therapeutic effects in vivo. But the premise is that, 
The biological distribution of exosomes at the time of injection is sufficient. However, so far, I don't think the biological distribution of injected exosomes has been deeply studied. Another example is curcumin. It is a kind of lipid molecule with a polyphenol structure. It has antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, and can inhibit tumor growth. Intranasal administration of curcumin-rich exosomes allows them to reach the mouse brain quickly and protect them from lipopolysaccharide-induced brain inflammation or delay the growth of brain tumors. So, the in vitro operation of exosomes with membrane-penetrating lipids allows the intervention of intercellular communication through exosomal lipids. I see. Intercellular lipid transfer of exosomes involves a variety of molecules with potential functional effects. I think Dr. Hofstadter has described them in great detail. We now understand the lipid composition, membrane tissue, metabolic pathways running in exosomes, and the role of exosomal bioactive lipids in target cells. Further studies are needed to determine which bioactive molecules concentrated in exosomes are involved in their in vivo functions. As the carrier of eicosanoids and fatty acids, exosomes are the most definite role of exosomal lipids in intercellular communication. This is a new way of transporting these mediators, and it opens up a new concept for understanding their role in various pathophysiology. Exosomes provide a way to intervene in diseases. Pharmacological research to control the relative number of negative and positive exosomes is a challenge for scientists. That's all for today. Thanks once again to Dr. Hofstadter for joining us today. Thank you for listening. There will be more interesting knowledge waiting for us in the next program. In the next few weeks, we will follow Dr. Hofstadter to learn about the functional importance of tetraspanins in exosomes. See you next time. Thank you. I hope we will see you next time.